ve'ele hamishpatim asher tasim lifnehem. And these are the laws or ordinances that you shall set before them. Parshat Mishpatim lists a series of interpersonal monetary laws. In reading the narrative of the Torah, it is an abrupt transition following the revelation of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, so to speak, on Har Sinai. Rashi explains that it is actually a continuation. He says, the Elah Mishpatim, Komakom Shenemar Ele, anywhere where it says the word Ele, Pasal et Harishonim. It, I guess, separates it, it disqualifies it from the previous narrative. The Ele, but when it says and these, Mosif al Harishonim, it is an addition to what came before it. Maharishonim Misinai, just like what uh, was earlier, meaning the Decalogue. The Aser Hadibrot was from Sinai. Af Elumi Sinai. Also, these are from Sinai. So Rashi already begins to give us a connection between the Aser Hadibrot, the Decalogue on Har Sinai, and these laws of, uh, of damages, monetary laws, what's often referred to as, uh, as Nizikin, as we'll see. So interesting, the Sifte Chachamim comments here. And he and uh, it says aval atakatu shekatu veela lav miutu elamosif. So again, it's not an exclusion; it's adding, consistent with Rashi. She nitnu b'maamad kol Yisrael that these laws were actually given while the Jewish people were assembled there. Uvakolot uvrakim with the uh, sounds and the thunder. Kemoshe nitnu aser hadibro, just like the. Uh, the the Decalogue was uh, was given Afuke Shar Mitzvot to the exclusion of other mitzvot uh, that were Nitnu Moshe Levado that were given to Moshe by himself Bahar Sinai Otam Arbaim Yom Shahaya Bahar for the remaining forty days. So Rashi, as interpreted by the Site Chachamim, explains that the laws delineated in Parshat Mishpatim are indeed unique. They were given preference along with the Decalogue, of being taught while the Jewish people were assembled together at Har Sinai. So what distinguishes these laws that at first glance seem somewhat mundane compared to the dramatic and prototypical laws of the Decalogue? So there's a Gemara in Baba Batra, Kuf Ayin Hamud Bet, that reads as follows. So Amar Rabbi Yishmael, so Rabbi Yishmael says, Harotzesh Yachkim, one who wishes to become wise, Ya'asok Bedine Mamanot, he should involve himself in the laws of, uh, of mon- I guess that you call them monetary laws, but sometimes here interpersonal laws in general captured in Nizikin, laws of Nizikin. She'en l'cha b'Torah, that there is no subject in Torah, yoter mehen, that is really greater than then. Ve'hein kim'ayan hanovea, they are like a flowing spring. So, this raises a number of questions. What makes the study of monetary law unique? Why should it receive preferential attention compared to, again, say, the laws of Shabbat or Brachot, among other areas of Torah? Why are they comparable to a flowing spring? So the Rav recalls that in Eastern European synagogues, they would have something called a Chevra Shas. That was a group that would get together to study Gemara, study Talmud regularly. And they would celebrate, sort of take over the shul annually on the Shabbat of Parshat Mishpatim. He quotes our Mishnah and elaborates. 
the meaning of was that it still is to place emphasis and to give preference to Nizim. And the Mishnah, Omar Abishmur, or Eitishiyachi, who wants to be a scholar, I mean, who wants to study in this country, and as a good Nizim, I mean, there are a few, few more kind of uh, speculations. But anyway, who wants to be a scholar, Yasir Bidibidi. Bidin is Yik Shainloch. No, 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 no. Shainloch. No, Shainloch. The last mission in 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 Parbasa. Shainloch Miktia got to Batia. Shainloch Miktia got to Batia. The one, the most wonderful. I mean, problems by which you can sharpen your mind and develop precision and, and depth in your comprehension is my second And I can tell you from my, from my own experience. I also, as a young boy, I studied music and I started with Elimitrius. I studied, and then you know, after Elimitrius, what, what else? Schneidmelsen. In Merube, I studied. And, and I, I still know the best is music. Because apparently, music is saturated with a certain spirit, I would say, with a certain strength which is inspiring. It inspires the, the one who studied the lame, the, the lame inspiring and and actually, I mean, helps him to develop not only his intuition, but his intellect as well. There is a special capacity which Almighty implanted in Yuhis Nizik that as far as inspiring it, inspiring it at all levels, at emotional level and at a, at a intellectual level, I mean, from all, from all viewpoints, is music in the strongest state of As a matter of fact, I mean, apparently, apparently, Chachmi so felt it, and that's why they gave preference to, to, to music. The laws of damages regulate interpersonal affairs. Indeed, at first glance, they may seem mundane compared to the institutions of Shabbat or blessings, brachot. But there are some features of these laws that offer an entree into the world of Torah. There is an aspect of the laws of Nizikin, of damages, that make them more accessible than other areas of Torah. We can all relate to the tension and conflict inherent in our interpersonal interactions. One party, say, leaves an object in the public space inadvertently. What if someone is injured by this object? That subject is covered in the first mission of the third chapter of Baba Kama. Do I have an obligation to return such an object to its owner? That subject is covered in the first mission of the second chapter of Baba Metzia. There is a reason we often introduce students to the study of Talmud through these subjects. These are you know, the subjects of Haminiach, and, uh, which is studied often in an uh, early Gemara study, in Elim Tzios, uh, Shnayim Ochazin, Hakones. These are common chapters that uh, we introduce students to Gemara. And I think the reason is that even a young student has an intuition of right and wrong in these cases. 
and through studying these subjects, they will notice that sometimes their intuition corresponds with the Torah's approach, and sometimes it doesn't. The Torah requires that we consider these events dispassionately, in a more objective light. We must articulate principles that are universal and apply across many situations, and also apply consistent exceptions to these rules. Through continued study, a shift takes place. The student encounters interpersonal events and is curious about the Torah's viewpoint. Eventually, one's very perspective may evolve and be influenced by the Torah's precise halachic thinking. In summary, the monetary laws of Nizikin are accessible. That's the first point. Everyone can relate to them. Further, they ennoble and refine our perspective, requiring us to not just go based on how we feel about a certain case, but to articulate principles. And over time, they not only affect how we think about things, but they also advance and sharpen our capability for intellectual analysis. So this is why I think it's referred to as a flowing spring, because there's so many different cases that can, may come up. There's always opportunities to be thinking about these subjects. And in addition to the commonality of circumstances that relate to Nizikin, it's also the process that affects our perspective and improves our thinking over time. So it's a constant source, it's a, a flowing spring in terms of our own development. And thus, there's primacy that has been given to the laws of Nizikin, the laws of damages, going back to the very giving of the Torah at uh, Har Sinai. And that's what Rashi and Sitei Chachamim are explaining to us, that while the Decalogue that Aser Hadib wrote share prototypical categories, it is really the study of Nizikin that offers one the opportunity to really absorb the Torah's unique perspective.